so the two faster ships will go ahead to destroy the relay station, while Orb's flagship will lead its forces in a direct strike on Requiem. And we know that Zaft's lunar fleet is somewhere close by. It could get sticky. It's not like we have a choice. We must not lose this battle. Victory will be decided by speed. We must destroy the relay station before their reinforcements surround us. Welcome to It's a Gundam, the internet's best episode-by-episode Gundam Seed podcast that now has to watch Destiny. My name is Jeremy. I was genetically engineered to be the perfect podcast host, but unfortunately I did not find my way into that role like nature intended. I'm Tyler. My name is Zach. We watch episode 48 of Gundam Seed Destiny HD Remix this week. Ray. (laughs) If Ray was sad, you could call it a Blu-ray. On the Dude. HD edition. <laughs> like all Rays, he is a clone. Yep. <laughs> so if you ever meet somebody named Ray, specifically I think R-E-I. No, just Ray, because this is R-E-Y. But if, if they're named Raymond... They're th- fine. Th- yes. That, that's a, Even if they go by Ray, that's fine. Well, I mean, if it's R-A-Y, then you just know you're in the American South. Usually this is where I'd say, man, uh, you can tell this is a good episode by the fact that we don't want to talk about it. But I actually don't think this episode is very bad. I think it is tremendously, tremendously let down by what has come before. I mean, I, it's fine. I had no strong feelings about it one way or the other. I honestly wish there had been a little bit more action in this episode because they want that, like, they make it feel like there is more going on than there is. There's not actually a lot of combat. It's mostly Isaac and Diarchus screaming at each other. Yeah, weirdly, I understand exactly what you mean. It's a whole fight type episode, except yeah. for the, when it cuts to Ray and Shin. But it feels, especially for a penultimate episode, and this is was in the original airing, the penultimate episode, because we are watching the HD version. We have two more to go. It feels weirdly like there should be more. I think a lot of that feeling is because we do go through the third iteration of look at all the coordinator stuff that happened before the first episode even came out of Gundam Seed. We get all that again this episode. What if I was a clone, Shin? Even the action scenes are incredibly stock footage reliant which I can kind of sympathize with to buy yourself more time to do cool animations for the final episode. Do they, though? Do they do cool animations in the final episode? They do some. Okay. There are actual fight scenes, but again, the action that we get here, there's no drama to the action, really, because two of the main characters are sitting in their home base waiting to respawn. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think Ray is waiting to respawn. Shin is just waiting to buy his item. He's like, no, I've almost got enough gold, guys. I'm waiting for 50. It's almost there. Oh, I need, I need a potion too, guys. Oh, wards. Always buy wards. I'll be right there. I like uh, to believe that Luna is Shin's ward. He just <laughs> sticks her places. No, she's his jungler. Okay, that's fair. So if you're just joining us now, weird decision. <laughs> but there is a sad boy, an angry boy, and a sangry boy. And the sad boy and the angry boy have swapped roles. Yeah, that's accurate. The angry boy's girlfriend is like, we need to destroy that Death Star. The new angry boy, I should say, the former sad boy's girlfriend. And so he's like, slash agree, and the angry boy's like, I will come with. I think my angry ex-boyfriend might be there, and we'll have to deal with him, but we can deal with that later. (laughs) Kigali got sent to Orb Jail, where she's only allowed to sit at desks and get almost as much screen time this episode as her ghost dad. (laughs) She's on the bus. Did you actually count? I did not count Kigali time this week. Okay. I did count ghost dad time. It is one second. I rounded up. 
Ray is actually a clone, which makes Sad Boy sadder because he's going to die soon. And the Emperor Palpatine is like, yes, Sad Boy and Ray, destroy them for me so I can enact science fiction plan to save the world from itself. And or doom the world from itself. It's it's And really we will clear. use super weapons for this plan. Yep. For reasons. Conform or explode. Look, I'm just saying, if Patrick Zala had had two Death Stars, <laughs> he would not have failed. He could have used one for his tactical targets and one for its political targets. I get the feeling that as soon as somebody fires a second super weapon after securing the enemy's super weapon, maybe you should start asking yourself if you're on the right side. I feel like that kind of happens this episode where a couple of the uh, random Zaku pilots are like... Are- are we the baddies? <laughs> I am in a Zaku. I was more thinking the Minerva. It's like, as soon as that happens, you should probably start asking, are we the baddies? I am really confused about Gladys's motivation. Does she just, like, not want to commit treason, I guess? Because, like... But Atherin showed that it's so much fun. <laughs> well, yes, but he did it by defecting, and Talia... And just taking an extremely valuable piece of equipment with him. Yep. She has a more valuable piece of equipment. I would argue that the Justice at the time was probably okay, I more valuable. No, no, I was talking about the Justice. Yeah. Well, you said Atherin showed her it was fun. That was the time Atherin well, he showed everyone that, was that it was fun. <laughs> well, he showed everyone it was so much fun. That's why he tried to do it again. <laughs> I feel like we can talk about Tali's motivation when we get to that scene. Because I'll that's agree fair. with you. It's one of the weaker scenes in the episode. I think a lot of the Zaft-sided motivation kind of fizzles in this episode and doesn't make a lot of sense. I agree, and it's kind of disappointing. All right, shall we get right into it? We open on the Archangel. Believe it or not, there's not a last time on Gundam Seed. They save that for later. Honestly, because of it, I kind of had the feeling of, did I miss the scene? <laughs> no, it's just like, they figured out narrative flow. Lacus is like, we got to destroy the first relay station. That will slow them down enough that we can destroy their big cannon. Somebody apparently found a mayor in a... Uh... Zaft uniform so for her to serve on the Eternal. She's had it for a while. Yeah, we were you talking about this before. a couple episodes ago, and we're like, where did she get it? Oh, yeah. Now that you mention that. It's a Zaft ship. They just had some left. Shin and uh, Ray are like, yep, we're leaving. Good they, luck. They were told to leave. Shin is sad about it. Gladys is like, yeah, send me into battle without my mobile suit compliment. Sounds about right. <laughs> Never dump the president. Yeah. Ar- <laughs> Arthur's just giving her a look like, are we really? <laughs> well, I think that's a case of we're really sending those two away. We're stuck with Lunamaria left and we're going into combat again. When you started that sentence, I definitely thought you were going to just end it at, well, that's a case of Arthur. To be fair, this is their first combat since they had time to rest. This is much better than previous orders. Except they don't have their two ace pilots. Yes. Or two of their three machines. Yep. They have one. They don't even have, like, replacement goofs or Zaku's. Now they'll really know what it's like to be the Archangel. (laughs) Lacus says the two faster ships will go destroy the relay station. It's news to me that the Archangel is faster than a Nazca-class ship, but sure. But do they have actual Nazca-class ships? We've seen some in their little fleet. I think they might have forgotten about them because I think she's specifically referring to the Kusanagi fleet. I think they send their entire rest of their fleet to the crater. I don't think crater. we see any Nazcas, though. I think we only see the the orb-style Kusanagi. We all we see some Earth Alliance ships that have now defected to them after their fleet got blown up. So anyway, they got a plan. They have more than three ships, which must be like a goddamn vacation for oh, Lacus. Yeah, I see the uh, the Earth Forces ships that you were talking about there in that shot. Yeah, Like yeah. I called it before, it's the Several Ships Alliance now. 
And I think there is a, is that green one in the back there? Is that a Nazca? I did not see it. So it was in the very far back. So although, while the Archangel might not be necessarily faster than a uh, Nazca, they do have the freedom on board. Yeah. Well, I think the freedom is actually on the Eternal at this point, but I, I think when they, although Wackus is who launches him. <laughs> well, it, it's weird because I think they show the freedom launch out of the Archangel and the justice launch out of the Eternal. I think you're wrong, but you might be right. Anyway, Lacus is like, victory is going to be determined by who's quicker, if we can destroy their early station before they can fire, and before we get swarmed by enemy reinforcements. Here would be a great time to start firing away with that Lohengrin, isn't it? I feel like that might be out of range, but it seems like the right situation for it. Cut to the Death Star, where people are telling Durundle that the Archangel and Eternal are heading for the relay station, and the Orb Fleet is heading for Deadliest. And they did mention that there were Laurasia and Nazca-class ships with them. So he sends the Minerva, the Guaduana, which is their giant ship, and the, half the Lunar Fleet to Station 1, while the rest go to Deadliest. Daedalus. 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 Same thing. One sounds like a cooler place to build your Death Star laser. I was going to say, rock me Daedalus. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like these shots of Zaku's just standing on top of battleships. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Durandal points out that this is not going to be a battle of numbers. What's going to matter is how many cool main characters the Archangel has. And since he has withdrawn all his main characters from the Minerva, that's a lot more. It's a tactical move, though. Atherin and Kira decide they're going to go kick some ass. The Archangel moves in front of the Eternal. It is the heavier ship, so it checks out. Well, it's also a full-fledged battleship, whereas the Eternal is more of a support craft, isn't it? Yeah. It's more of an aircraft carrier. Okay, we don't actually see which ship Kira takes off from. I think I just assumed that it was the Archangel, because that's the Archangel hangar. Yeah, I assumed it was the Eternal, because Lacus launches him. It's very cute. I think the shot was probably the Archangel's hangar because it was stock footage. Alakis says, hey, give me an open channel as they lift off their new meteors, which are the same as the old ones, but the old ones got destroyed. And she starts rolling her charisma checks to try to destroy morale and Zaft. Think, hey, we're just going to go destroy that weapon of mass destruction that nobody needs. Please let us. That useless weapon of mass destruction. I'm like, well, by <laughs> definition, it's not useless. Yeah, this it, is rhetoric. Y- you notice one of my notes is, useless <laughs> i love how the commander on the commander glasses yep he, he just looks like someone's generic dad yes and it's great <laughs> my dad is in charge of this battleship you're absolutely right <laughs> she says it's not needed to protect people or for battle so it should be dismantled and if they have any pride left in their uniforms they'll let them pass honestly i think that is probably the like most effective slash lowest blow lacus lands in that speech is to attack them with in the pride of the uniform. I mean, yeah, go go for the heart first, and then keep going. Uh, well, we all know how to easily win a fight, right? Kick him in the nuts, and then don't stop kicking. <laughs> Darth Vader brings Luke to the Emperor's throne room. He has constructed his own lightsaber. He really gives off a, a very Emperor vibe, because I don't think he ever stands up during this. It's absolutely intentional. And then we get the opening sequence. In the dub, it's mega awkward because they use the original music track, not the HD one. So as soon as the opening theme is starts is over, the opening theme starts playing because that's how this uh, episode <laughs> opened originally. Okay. They changed the music in the Japanese version, thankfully. Here's my thing. Why is it so urgent that they go attack these things right now? Because Durundle can fire them at any time and has proven he is willing to. That's fair. So they need to be taken off the table as fast as possible so that he won't actually be able to wipe out a good chunk of people who don't want to... Mainly, they don't want him to wipe out Orb. Yeah, that's yeah, what okay. I think that their fear is. 
And my read on it, we're not told this, is that they're going for the first relay station because it's closer, and that will slow down the firing enough that they can reach the actual base of the cannon. I mean, at the end of the last episode, you said, isn't their plan going to be to go directly after that cannon? Yeah, okay, fair. The answer ended up being... Kind of. (laughs) They dedicated the main characters to go after the relay, and they sent all the non-main characters after the actual cannon itself. We know one of these planes is going to backfire. Just well, by who's these, going where. <laughs> yeah. One of these has main characters. Oh man, I just realized I have so many random weird character motivation questions. Like, why Shin? There are a lot of them here. This is also kind of where I think Shin gets really hits that, well, I guess I'm going to be bad now. Yeah, you and I, in discussing Destiny in the past, have used the phrase, Shin's character falls off. And you've pulled that out already. I don't actually think it happens until this episode. Having rewatched it, I thought that happened a lot earlier, where he basically is like, yep, I'm a bad guy now, here, go. <laughs> I'm not going to need this anymore, because it does, it's like, there's a lot going on with him until here, really. Well, we do see that uh, Lacus had an effect on all of the... Not all of, but at least well, the a, very front of the troops, a because... A good chunk of them just let Kira and Atherin go by. What happened is the GM just rolled a uh, percentile and got, like, you know, 20% of the soldiers your speech was effective on. Well, it definitely seems like more than that. So my dad says, hey, they're the remainders of Logos. <laughs> Shoot them down. And that counter-motivates some people into doing it. But, so we have to get some stock footage of the Archangel and the Eternal firing versus stock footage of Zaki's firing versus stock footage of the Archangel intercepting missiles versus stock footage of the meteors attacking. Yeah, this might as well just be labeled as stock footage all the way through here. Have we ever seen Atherin use that stock footage attack? All or? they did was take the freedom and recolor it to the justice. I know, he got his own stock footage attack. He absolutely did that at the end of Seed. He did, okay. Well, good job. It's now officially a stock footage attack. He's used it twice. The Minerva gets ordered to go help the station fend off the Archangel and Eternal as we get some new shots of the meteors using their giant swords to slash some Zakus and gifts. I do like how Arthur's reaction is the Archangel, because up to this point, they hadn't really gotten any confirmation that the Archangel was still around. Yes, they have. They have literally fought it. Right before you said that, I was like, no, wait a minute. The fight between them (laughs) happened before that. I think it's pr- it's probably just one of those situations that it's like, of course they're here. And that ship is still really strong. Cut to Isaac angry that his ex didn't call to tell him he's in town. The Ark is like, well, can you blame him given our situation? <laughs> We're still technically both members of Zaft, and Isaac is super pissed. I feel like Isaac is like, yeah, look how many members of Zaft are over there with their Nazca-class ships and Laurasia-class ships. That could be us. <laughs> Do you think Isaac has any personal mementos from Atherin that he just kept and never gave back? He doesn't seem like a personal memento guy. That's fair. And so Isaac is like, all right, fuck it, we're going out. I like how even though Isaac is clearly the superior officer, Diarca just follows him around everywhere and no one's like, Diarca, shouldn't you like be doing something? He's like, nope, I'm following Isaac. That's my job now. Well, I mean, Diarca is at this point in time just a grunt because he got demoted after he... Uh, defected in the last war that's my point shouldn't he be doing something yeah but as Isaac, a job Isaac can be like your job is to stick around with me that's well right. if he's Isaac's aide he's his secretary <laughs> cut to Palpatine asking why Shin looks gloomy and he's like ah oh, nothing sir just teenage things you know and he's like ah oh, I bet you're confused again because my plan doesn't really make much sense or rather it makes plenty of sense but I explained it very very poorly 
presumably because the writer was dealing with her leukemia when she had to write my speech. Well, and obviously you might be a little confused because we went out of our way to destroy the super weapon and then just decided that we were going to repurpose it as our own. From what we've seen of Shin already before now, that should kind of make him question things. Anyway, let's recap from the beginning. So there were some new druggies and they stole our mobile suits. That's where you came in. Overshot <laughs> of Atherin cutting an enemy ship's bridge off. Zaku grenade. And so Durandal's like, that's why we have to put an end to this world. Or I should be saying, please put an end to it, Darth Vader. Please be my new cool Darth Vader. My old one's about to die of clone. <laughs> <laughs> And Shin has a look that's clearly like, I don't know about this. What would Atherin Senpai do? Punch me and then leave. (laughs) No, my personality. I would really love that, just like punching the ghost out of Shin. (laughs) Hey, look, the hell darts. Yeah, they still got those. I love how Lacus is just like, please stop fighting and get out of our way. That thing must never be fired again. Shot of Kigali implying that's who they'll shoot. That's all Kigali does this episode. Be a target. (laughs) I mean, it's a pretty good... Like, the logic is sound as to why they'd be shooting it at Orb, because Orb is the one that officially told them to fuck off. Well, yeah, and Durundal literally said in the last episode, okay, we'll shoot the Alliance first and then deal with Orb. Guy who didn't even rate one of the fancy Zakus and is in an old Gwazi gets distracted by this, allowing Athern to cut off his arm and take out his commander as well. And Palpatine says, as of this moment, the rebels are attacked the relay point. But I am afraid this battle station's weapons will be quite operational by the time your person you know arrives. <laughs> well, and his senpai. Senpai Atherin is there. By the time your senpai arrives. <laughs> anyway, it appears me shooting a Death Star with some big offensive thing, and they're using it to justify coming after me. Can you believe it? Then this You can't even fire a Death Star on Twitter anymore without getting run out of, with via cancel culture of your political position. Um, like That right there, it seems like they're offended by me blowing up an entire base worth of probably civilians too. Man, can you believe it? I think that's when you should realize, I think I'm on the wrong side. <laughs> No, it's fine. Durundle has a really high charisma score. People just believe everything he says for some reason. Roll insight, Shin. Roll insight. <laughs> I didn't take that skill. I roll it all the time. And Ray I has it. it. I thought it would be fine. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I'm talking about when I don't think this episode's bad, but I think it was set up poorly because Durundle's plan isn't well explained here. And I think this is a problem of wanting to make Durundle the bad guy. I think you can do a much more justifiable version of Durundle shoots the Death Star laser at the Alliance fleet, which they did not bother to try at all. But here Durundle is trying to give the argument that, yeah, I had reasons and it was reasonable, which the show did not show us. I feel like if we went back like five or six episodes, we could have set this up a bit better. There's, there's a lot of stuff you could do. I don't know if cutting out two clip episodes is enough time to get you everything you need, but it buys you a lot of time. I think they could have also just used the episodes that they had a bit more efficiently in that time. I do too. I just want to say that it's real easy to play armchair quarterback in oh, that yeah. regard. Yeah, 100%. Like, I am not writing any anime, obviously. Well, also, you, whenever you're looking back on stuff, hindsight and all take all the problems out and it's like yeah you guys really could have done this better but at this point we are looking back on it with the benefit of hindsight again it's one of the reasons why destiny is so frustrating is it's so close but it it just ruins it at the end and adrenaline's like we would rather not be involved with any more meaningless battles that's why we have a death star laser to stop them before they begin (laughs) well the idea of deterrence is a thing yeah 
but that's not what he's implying. Yeah. It's like, at this rate, I'll never get to enact my cool destiny plan and end war. And Ray's like, yeah, because those idiots won't listen to what you say. Because it's our, his arguments suck. I think you're being a little unfair to the series, Zach. Not entirely, because I agree with you. But I think that it's a problem with the writer and not Durundal's argument. I, it's my biggest frustration with Seed, is I really wish Durundal was the sort of character that you could be like, hey, he had a point, and they just fail to make him that. I mean, kind of, he does. I just wish he had explained how he's going to enact that point. His point is never going to work. That's not how human nature works. Also that. That would be the counter-argument that people could make, right? Like, it's not in human nature, and then, like, you can examine how Kira, like, stepped up to this situation as a demand. Anyway, we we already had the whole conversation about this. And Ray's like, if the impossible happens and they win, the world is going to be thrown into chaos again. You don't want chaos, do you, Shin? Remember that time your sister died? We have to change something, or we'll just get another Gundam Seed double destiny, and there'll be another <laughs> war in two years. And Zack will be like, how did they build all these battleships in two years again? And the world will give birth to a new Logos, because that's human nation and nature abhors a vacuum. And Ray agrees with Zack. He's like, that's nobody's fault. It's human nature. But I don't want the world to be like that, and the destiny plan will fix it. Well, human nature is wanting to do better. Not, I want to murder everything. That's part of, that's only a little bit of it. This is the, the easiest worst. way to do better. Zach, if your opponent is dead, you were better by default. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see you run the 50 meter now. Huh. He's got a point. <laughs> I, I really like the phrase now, outcompeting a corpse. But <laughs> well, Look, it's what's going on with WoW right now. Uh, anyway, we must implement the destiny plan. Atherin and Kira continue to meteor ships. Atherin does some good murders on some guys in a ship and spins. That's a good trick. But a whole bunch of laser fire cuts them off as they start to reach the relay point, as the fleet led by the Minerva has shown up. Be a really uh, good time to start firing the Lohengrin. Anyway, Terendel's like, how do you feel about this, Shin? I notice you've been awfully quiet while Ray and I give our maniacal speech. And Shin's like, I don't, Ray, how do I feel? This is, this is normally how we do this. Shin more looks like he's like, oh yeah, I do the drugs all the time, cool kids. <laughs> I smoke all of the doobies. <laughs> He does seem like he's like, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I, I'm with you just to agree with, be, be part of the popular cr- uh, group. It doesn't really even seem that. It seems like the, oh no, my cashier is crazy. And he's just nodding along, like looking at his groceries, trying to get out of the checkout line. Cut to all the captains. And Isaac. I like how Isaac is like, Grr. and Diarca's <laughs> looking at him like, I'm not sure if I should leave yet. <laughs> And sad puppy Luna, who wasn't allowed to talk to her boyfriend, and then her boyfriend was kidnapped. And now is apparently not allowed to leave the briefing room. I mean, they're probably on red alert. And Shin is about to speak, but then he looks at Ray and feels guilty about the fact that Ray's going to die, which I think is supposed to be the reason he goes along with this. And again, I think if it was written a little better before, this is the thing they've spent the most time setting up, right? Ray worming his way into Shin's head. It just feels like Shin is realizing, like, with all of his spatial expressions that he's in the wrong, but then he goes along with it anyway. Yep. It's very confusing. I don't know if it's, like, what all of it's supposed to be. I think it's supposed to imply that he's been backsliding due to Ray, but at the same time, like, other than a couple shots of the phone recently, like, I really wish we'd gotten that encounter with, like, like having Luna and them on uh, on the moon. Yes, there's a thing I want it for more later, but I really wish we'd gotten that too. Because then he could have more than just Ray in his head and it could seem like there's an argument going on in his head. 
like a battle for control. Instead, it just seems like he's like, well, I got to do it. Because and, Ray's going to die I'm, and I got to honor his last wish type, type of thing. Yeah. And we've been watching the Evangelion movies. You can check out our coverage of that on our Patreon, www.patreon.com slash lastpodcast. And if Shinji were in this situation, we would totally give him the benefit of the doubt of like, he's a teenager, he's being talked into this by his friend, there's authority here, what else is he going to do? And I think that's supposed to be ultimately why Shin does this. I, I think, think Shinji that's the in reason. this situation actually just curls up into a ball and starts crying. I was going to say, I think what actually helps Shinji is that we don't get his internal monologue, right? So like, we don't know why he's making decisions, but we can take guesses. We do see Shin's internal monologue, and it's pretty weak reasoning. With Shinji, we don't need them to necessarily show us, yes, this is why he's doing this. I guess it's more of, we, they don't need to tell us this by showing us his head. It's really weird because of how flashbacks in anime work. But, like, this is basically them trying to tell us... Yes. This is what that, Shin that's is why he's of. doing, as opposed to showing us, like, in movie two, when Shinji gets in the Ava to go rescue Rei. Yeah, no, that's my point. We see his point without them having to tell us what's in his head. Yeah, so you can see, like, the outcome of his decision, and you can, like, come up with reasons why he made that decision. And I think that's more powerful than giving us the weak motivation that Shin has. The point I was going to make, I don't think you guys are wrong, is that the reason that works for Shinji is because he's a whiny kid who doesn't know what he wants, right? And that's his fatal flaw. He's essentially Hamlet. <laughs> um, whereas Shin has been a man of action. He is a, I will blow you up now and damn the consequences. So this seems so weird for his character. He is normally the guy who yells his beliefs at the top of his lungs, even if they are wrong. Damn the torpedoes, blow them all up and let God sort them out type yeah. of situation. And so it seems really weird that they're like, you agree with us, right, Shin? Right, Shin? And I totally get Ray like, guilting him into this with like, I'm going to die. I can kind of buy that. It would also mean he probably wouldn't fight very well in this upcoming fight when he doesn't really believe in it. Although that could be something you do with it thematically. You know, if they'd done a better job of showing Shin actually like coming to believe this, yes. like philosophy will do better. Like, I think we're supposed to believe that he also kind of thinks that this might work. But they haven't really shown us this. And I think he's definitely on the fence when he comes here and he's supposed to be, right? Because what he says to Ray is like, yes, I believe in what the chairman is saying. Yes, I believe in the chairman's goals. But he literally says, I think this is too far a step. Like, people aren't just going to accept all this at once. And also my senpai is coming to stop yeah, as it. A, as opposed to like, oh yeah, Ray's going to die, so you have to take up his position as Darth Vader. Like, actually showing that Shin has come to believe in this idea. And that's so that's why he's willing to fight for it? And that's what I've been talking about, like, whenever Ray has been talking about how re I really want Luna to be the angel on his shoulder so that there's more conflict in that and he can come to this. Because, again, I think this episode is fine. I just think it didn't have proper setup. Well, one of the things that they could have done early on, because I think we talked about it a couple of times, that early on, Athrun is kind of the position of the angel on Shin's shoulder. Yeah. And Ray is always the devil. But then when Shin shoots Atherin down, Luna should really take over that position. And then when it comes up to here again, where you really have that position of angel versus devil on the shoulders, it makes the choice more meaningful. But we've basically only had one half of that whole thing for half this series. I think this actually also goes to show how well Seed was planned, because they were having flashbacks of conversations that happened at the very beginning of the show, at the end of the show, and they made sense in context. And, like, I can't think of anything Atherin ever said to Shin that would, like, be relevant in this flashback he's about to have. The closest thing I can think of was when he was basically yelling at Shin after Shin killed Kira. 
Yeah. I was going to say in the battle at Orb when he's like, hey, think for yourself. Like, I know what the chairman is saying makes sense, but think about what it is you actually want. And like, is destroying Orb going to get you that? Okay, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, when that would be an char- extra line to drop in this. When he's uh, in charge of Shin, you know, when he's actually on the Minerva, doesn't really do a lot. The reason you can't put lines like this in this scene is because the choice Shin is going to make is to side with Durundal. So you have to have none of the counter-argument, because clearly, the, even the way Shin's facial uh, expressions are, he's leaning towards the counter. What it really does is it fails to bring up the point that, like, the straw that puts Shin on this side is what really fails to come up. I think it's supposed to be the fact that Ray is going to die and he's Shin's friend. And maybe if you'd done an even better job of Ray isolating Shin and Shin thought Ray is my only friend, like this could work also. Yeah. Or even a situation with with this, not even necessarily that Ray is his only friend, but something more along the lines of like to to save Luna, I have to be on this side. Like this or is the only way to protect Luna. But now I'm thinking about what if Luna had broken up with Shin because of the shitty way Ray treated her, and now Shin is completely alone, and that was Ray's plan. I wasn't trying to add yeah, no, to I'm that just... other thing. I was going with what they've already shown us because of that. Like, because we know from what they've shown us that Shin does care about Luna. Yes, and if that was implied, like one of the reasons why he decides to make this choice is to protect her. Number one, it would stay with Shin's character but also give us that reason as to why he's making this choice. Or that's there's that bit later in this episode where Luna is attacked by the Black Tri-Stars. If she had been injured there, not killed, but injured, and Shin is going out for revenge, that's very Shin. Yeah, that would be very Shin. So we get a flashback to Rey telling Shin that he's going to die. This is expanded from the previous episode, which is weird to me, just because I'm not sure why they didn't put this stuff in the previous episode. Other than they're kind of setting up for the final battle between Ray and Kira that's going to happen next episode. Weird pairing also. It's because of the Rao Kira's... Like, who do you put Ray against? Atherin. Who do you put Shin against then? Kira, specifically. So, so you want it reversed? Yeah. No, I, w- I want Shin Kira. That makes more sense to me. I think or- there's a lot more drama between Atherin and Shin because yeah, they've had fair. interaction. That's what I was going to say as well. It works better because they actually know each other. Whereas, I mean, that is kind of the problem with Kira going against uh, Ray here is that... Kira doesn't really have a horse in the race against Rey, but then again, Kira doesn't really have a horse in the race against any of these pilots. It's the problem with Kira in the series, and why he should have just stayed home. Because he doesn't have an attachment to anybody here. He's my favorite character in fiction. He doesn't need to be in Destiny. So, like, I mean, I could see him showing up later to help Atherin out, because he is his friend, and if Atherin called for his assistance, he would definitely take it up. But, <laughs> I'm just imagining like, there doesn't need summoning him. <laughs> there doesn't need to be nearly as much focus on Kira and all that here, and I think that might be the initial intent, because I think I talked about it when I f- with Jeremy when I first saw this series. I don't think it ever came up in, in the podcast. But Atherin feels like the main character of this series early on. Not really Shin. It feels like it's supposed to be Atherin and Kira's supposed to be a side character, but then he kind of muscles everybody else out of the way to stay, to take center stage. And also, in Gundam Versus, Summon the Freedom is one of the Justice's attacks. Amazing. So, it turns out that Ray told Shin about how the clones of Moose Dad, Aldeflaga, that's his name, were made to fund the ultimate coordinator project that created Kira Yamato. This is information we know. It's not information Shin knew. So I didn't bring it up. Does that mean Kira is a Rao? No. 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 The way it worked specifically was their research to make the ultimate coordinator was funded by the clones of Moo's dad. Like They were trying to clone Moo's dad because he wanted them to. Because he was paying for the project. In exchange for that, he paid for the project for them to 
basically go through the research. Okay. And Ray is like, I'm just a byproduct of that, which is not technically true, but I don't think it's Ray being manipulative. I do think it's actually how Ray sees it. Well, I mean, because at the same time, Rao was also created. So I think it was kind of viewed as Rao was the success. I think Ray is like, I only exist because of the Ultimate Coordinator Project. If he hadn't been like, I want to do this, he would have never made those clones. I now get to what you're talking about. Another version of me tried to destroy the world. And that didn't work. So I want to try to save it, you know, by doing a destiny plan to it. Because I blame society, not individuals. And so the destiny plan will change society. And Shin is like, whoa, man, that's so deep I became a ghost. <laughs> and and then gets, Ghost Dad. <laughs> gets a flashback through a lot of the scenes of the last series. Anyway, that's why we have to change things. Because if we don't, that's how you get Rouse LaCruce. You want Rouse LaCruce? I do love how when he's saying that we get a shot of Isaac looking, an- well, Isaac looking like Isaac. I was going to say angry, but that would be the same thing twice. But it does also kind of give the impression that Isaac has made a decision because he goes from being like neutral angry to openly angry. <laughs> and Shin looks like actively pained by his thought process. Yeah, it's still very weird to me that he comes to this conclusion at the end of this inner monologue. Well, at yeah. the end, and I'm also not sure if what I said was also supposed to be implied because the last thing he sees is Luna. Yeah. Before he. Who Ray has convinced him is a casualty of the way society works. So I, I can see why that is his motivation there. It's just not clear. It's not particular. I also don't necessarily agree with Ray's logic, but that's kind of the point, is that Ray's being manipulative. So she ultimately goes, I feel the same way Ray does, and Durandal's like, ah, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> Shin's personality has been drained. And then we get the eye catch. Do you feel like your personality has been drained? Well, no worries. We have a cure for that. It's listening to the podcast you're currently listening to. Thanks for joining us on episode 48. As of the time of me recording this, we've actually finished recording all the episodes on Destiny, which is very exciting. I think we're all happy to finally put that one to bed. Fairly shortly, Zach is going to be creating a questions you have for us about Destiny and or, you know, whatever, that we'll tackle in a recap episode. I will leave what our in-between-the-next-things thing is for later, because Jeremy announces that on the last episode of Destiny. In the meantime, you can head over to our patreon.com slash lastpodcasts, where you can listen to a bunch of other stuff, including our episodes as soon as they finish getting edited. And hey, just less than a week ago, we put up our behemoth episode on Evangelion 3.0, You Cannot Redo. It was wild. And hey, if you were never a huge Evangelion fan, I will say, neither was I. And then I watched these movies, and now I kind of am. We're also getting dangerously close to doing some non-mecha-related stuff, if you're into that, as well as some just non-anime, but still kind of anime-related stuff. And I think with that, let the hate flow through you as we get back to the episode. And then the Archangel's taking some hits, and they're like, oh yeah, we have like a full complement of mobile suits. Maybe we should launch those. <laughs> I, I feel like it's one of those situations where Maru and all it, them are so like, used to right, not having any mobile suits. Kira has been deployed. We We're don't good. have anything else. And then someone eventually is like, don't we have like an entire wing worth of mobile suits on board? And Maru just looking at him and going, oh my God, you're right. Because right after that, they deploy all the mobile suits. The Akatsuki, the three, the Black Trite. Were they on? They're on the Eternal. But we see a bunch of um, Murasame. Murasame's, uh, Murasame's launching launch. from the Archangel. 
And Pirate Lady's like, you got some nerve attacking Miss Lacus's ship, and there are some cool pirate action of the Doms taking out some Zaki. I do love how Ezek's like, what the hell are those? And his captain is just like, dude, I don't know. I'm just here for the paycheck. His captain is like, dude, I don't want any of that. And Ezek is like, I want one. I want one. Do we have those? I want one. <laughs> I do love this bit here where Diarch is like, more importantly, what are we going to do next, Commander? Should we go out there to get killed like everybody else? And he's, uh, it is important to note that he's already in his mobile suit. Like, Diarch yeah, is already ready to go. And playing it, he knows exactly what Ezek is going to say. I don't think he does, given his reaction. But Ezek is like, don't you do jokes now. I can't lose another friend. <laughs> and Diarch is like, yeah. But, and Ezek's like, I'm going to go. And the captain of the ship is like, but commander. And he's like, just cover for me from behind, okay? Do not get any closer. You will all die. There are main characters out there. Yeah, I, I do like, he does actually say, get any closer and you'll all get killed. I do like they zoom in briefly on the action going on and they just have meteors labeled and there's just giant beams coming off of them. <laughs> it's hilarious. Close up on Talia as Arthur's like, um, Captain... And now we get some Talia motivational stuff, which is maybe the weakest part of the episode. Yeah, because she, it's flashing to when she was talking to Maru for, you know, five minutes that one time. Well, And when she contacted her on the on the communications before they shot down the Archangel the first time. And again, it seems to be that she is agreeing with Maru, but then that's not consistent with what her actions are in this episode. Because Maru said, like, we can only do what we think is best at the time and hope it works out for the best in the future. And Gladys says, I agree. And apparently that means she agrees with Durundal, despite the fact that she's been clearly having misgivings about ever associating with him the past, like, four episodes. It seems very much like a oh, wow, Natarl move, where she's like, okay, but I believe in the military, so that's what I have to do, which has not really been Gladys's character. I, well, I nope. think it's supposed to be more along the lines of, okay, but I believe in Durundal. Not so much I believe in the military, but I believe in him specifically, because we get a bunch of shots of him. That's true. But that has also not really been her character yeah. through most of this series. Like, it was implied early on that they had something, but throughout most of the series, it has seemed more and more like she distrusts Durundal more and more as things have progressed. That's the vibe I've been getting at the very least. So, like, it seems really weird that she's choosing to side with him at this point. Yes. Especially juxtaposed with the flashbacks of her conversations with Maru. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. If it had just been Durundal's stuff, if she had been like, okay, I don't agree with him, but I do agree his plan is the fastest way to end this conflict, I don't know. Uh, but she's like, hey, we're going to blow up the Archangel. That's gone well for everybody who said it. And they deploy the impulse. Well, that's all they got. I love how, for the honor of Zaft, we'll destroy that ship this day. How well has that gone for literally anyone else? Like, I mean, that, to be fair, they're a, the ones who have come closest. That, that is an elite battleship, and the only reason why you got so close the last time was because they were literally not trying to shoot you. On the other hand, no one shot down the Minerva yet either. So the Archangel goes to intercept the Minerva, as the Akatsuki is like, hey, I got funnels. We're in space now, I can use funnels. Because everyone has funnels. Although, to be fair, funnels were Moo's thing through most of Gundam Seed. I wouldn't say through most of, but for part of, certainly. He's well, never I, had I guess, a Gundam with them I, before. I guess they most of because like we don't see another mobile suit with or another thing with funnels until Rao gets the Providence. Yeah. The fact that the Akatsuki has funnels is the only thing that makes me think maybe Mu getting it was the plan. Was it established before that the Akatsuki had funnels? No. But they also days. couldn't be used in atmosphere? One, funnels in seed can't be used in atmosphere, yes. Two, it actually has two different backpacks, one for space and one for 
planetary. It looks slightly different. It's got more strikish wings in its planetary pack, and it's got the funnels on its space pack. Fair. I'm wondering if they added the funnels after they made the decision to kick Kigali off. Possibly. It might have been that situation where they just did a slight redraw, basically, for the backpack to basically be able to backsplain the, you know, backpack funnels thing. The Akats gets the same devil I just blew up someone with funnel shot that the Legend and Providence get. It looks very good in gold. Some stock footage of Murasami's destroying gifts. Hey, that guy's back. The one that gets really close to shooting the bridge of the uh, Eternal. It's actually been the same guy every time, and they just keep rescuing him because they're, you're like, you know what? You've had the best shot so far. So Izak and Diarca launch, and Diarca's is like, what are you going to do, Izak? And he's like, right now, I just want to punch that guy. And then it flashes to uh, Kira and Atherin, like, getting determined to fight back at them. And I love how Izak is just like, what the fuck are you guys doing here again? I think he's just referring to Atherin. Well, he says you guys, so. He just says you. I thought he said you guys. Nah. He actually says, use guys. <laughs> use guys. <laughs> uh, Luna launches. She's got an impulse. Zach hates it. I wasn't going to bring it up because everybody already knows at this point. Although the <sighs> fact that it goes through its full like connecting sequence feels like filling time. They've used so much stock footage this episode already, Zach. They have to use more. I know. I know. It's just, it really feels like filling time because, probably because of how much I dislike the impulse but also, there's like a bunch of action going on right now, and she's just like, and I'll form the head. So the Minerva and the Archangel fire at each other. It's about as ineffectual as it usually is. We don't even see the impacts. <laughs> Cut to the Death Star, where Shin is just floating in a floating room, staring at the destiny, while Ray and Durundal go over their long-term plans. And they're like, well, they're definitely going to get that relay station, and then they'll probably come straight here. Yeah, they got to cut the head off the snake. Well, and Durandal points out that, like, they're brave and powerful, but they are actually few in number. That's not a bad thing when you have as powerful of things as they do. And besides, they can run you out of juice. The uh, justice and the uh, the freedom are both nuclear-powered. So are the destiny and the legend. Yeah, but they're not deployed right now. No, they're not. But they're talking about the long term of the battle. They've given up on this. It almost reads to me as them sacrificing the Minerva, but that doesn't really track with some later dialogue. So... I don't think they were necessarily intending to sacrifice it immediately, but I think at this point they're also kind of writing it off because they're like, well, we're already going to lose that one. We can't, like, that's not going to change anything at this point. Mayron notices the impulse is out and is like, hey, my sister's probably on board that. Specifically, the impulse is making an attack run on the Eternal, where Mayron is currently stationed. So Mayron tells her big sis to knock it off. And she's like, what, Mayron aboard the Eternal? And this, again, I think would have been way, way more powerful if Luna knew that Mayron was still alive already. If they had had any conversation before this, and this was round two of them sort of talking at each other. Because as it is, we just get Mayron getting real generic. Why are you fighting? Can't you tell the cool real Lacus is here with me? <laughs> it's like really weird that she's like, don't you know which Lacus is the real one? I'm like, we a- literally saw the other one get killed. Yeah, it's not like we saw them being huge Lacus fans when they went to the USO concert. Yep. I feel like Luna's not buying it because she just wasn't a Lacus fan. She does seem pretty distraught by this, though, probably because her sister is telling her she's an idiot, and she's clearly been second-guessing herself well, this entire time. Well, and she was in the process of making an attack run literally on the ship Mayron is currently on. Shin is just doing some sad floating. We get Durundal talking about how we have to kill everybody completely, otherwise I, then, uh I think he means specifically the Archangel and the Eternal, but... Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, those, those are, they are definitely, he's like, we gotta kill their main characters with our main characters. So this makes a lot of sense, because Durundal just ascribes to that, uh, great person philosophy yeah. of history. I wish that had been more explicit, but yeah, I think that's true. 
And that's why he wants Shin, someone he sees as genetically being a great person, on his side. Well, I mean, if you also kind of explain that as part of his whole, like, destiny plan. Yeah. I, I think all the pieces are there, and to some degree, you don't have to put them all together as a series. But I wish they had done a little bit. So are you, are, the great person thing you're talking about is great people make is is do great people make history or does history make great people? Is that yeah. the one you're talking about? Yeah, essentially. Okay. I wanted to make sure I was on the same page with you, as well as kind of explain to anybody who happens to be listening who doesn't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Like, there's an argument to be had there, and, like, you could reject that notion if Rundle had expressed it. But, like, he doesn't. So, <laughs> not well, explicitly, You could anyway. explicitly there's go something with the to other arg- side of that. Yeah, there's something to, like, there's a discussion to be had there, right? And, like, the show's not interested in it. Oh, well. So the Doms are like, hey, that uh, impulse thing is clearly stuttering. Let's go beat the shit out of it. <laughs> well, I think it's more a matter of that thing is going to attack the uh, the Eternal. We got to take it down. Luna gets pretty beat up, which <laughs> Mayor is shocked by. The three Doms use their Transam to go after Luna. Oh, yeah. This is clearly just a precursor to the Transam. Walfell asks why Kira and Athrid haven't speed run this yet. While the Minerva and the Archangel continue to fight, the Minerva gets its Tonhauser out, and Maru's like, ah, oh, they got us. If we evade, they're going to hit the Eternal. It, I mean, you could just warn the Eternal to get out of the way, because it's supposed to be a pretty fast ship. A cruising speed fast, not necessarily maneuverability fast. Usually those go hand in hand in a series, but when the Eternal has been referred to as fast, it's always about how quickly it gets from places and how it, it shakes off pursuers. Not necessarily. It's, it's fast in a straight maneuver. line. It's not necessarily quick. Yeah. Uh, this is bringing me some reassembly flashbacks now. It's a game where you build your own, like, fleet of ships and then, like, get to, like, like you build them, like, Lego block style. It's like the gummy ship out of uh, Kingdom Hearts, but, like, just way better. And, like, that's the entire game. So the Tonhauser fires and Maru gets to reuse her shock face from the last time a giant positron <laughs> cannon was going to hit her. You'd think at this point it's like, well, I've done this before. All right. But it's caught on the Akatsuki. Yeah. The entire thing. As Neo Rokinok's like, I won't let you get the Archangel. And then he's like, wait a minute. This I... seems awfully familiar. <laughs> I've done this before. Oh, yeah. That was a good makeout session. Also, I-, I had druggies. I guess my whole life is flashing before my eyes. Oh, yeah. And that asshole Jabril found me in space. He put Somehow. a bunch of bandages on me. That's how you fix asphyxiation in space, right? <laughs> bandages being, all over the body. And being blown up. Ugh. Then I grew my hair out. <laughs> it looks good, actually. I'm going to keep that part. <laughs> so he shoots the Todd Hauser. It explodes. Again, they get to reuse the shot of Kira destroying it. It's actually slightly different. Because Neo Roanoke shoots into the barrel Kira shot through the side of it and he's like hey I'm okay and I'm never leaving you again because I remembered I'm tuxedo mask and your <laughs> sailor moon I mean <laughs> I like how when he says I'm never leaving you again Millie looks perturbed she's like oh no my fan fiction <laughs> <laughs> or a matter of damn I wanted that the funnels also have the new Gundam funnel shield thing on them seems like he could have used that to block the positron cannon but I guess then he wouldn't have gotten his memories back as he's like, hey, let's finish this and then go home together, Maru. And she's like, oh my god, my boyfriend, he's really back. Again, I think this is a fine way to restore Neo Roanoke's memories and end his arc. Yep. But there's no drama to it because, like, he's basically just been moved this entire time. Yeah, it would yeah, be he's... nice if he had been, like, much more of an asshole earlier and much more, I guess, Neo Roanoke. Very, or much more, like, going between, like, back and forth. Yeah. yeah. Even like, whenever Kira would refer to him as Moo, just co- having constantly. Neo Roanoke constantly having him correct him 
Athern's about to get hit by a bunch of missiles, but a white goof shoots them all down. And hey, it's Isaac. And he's like, bastard, what do you think you're doing out here? <laughs> I do love how like Isaac shows up and is Isaac. And Diarca shows up and is like, yo, what's up? <laughs> he's like, hey, guys. Diarca. Well, he's like, look, he's just trying to destroy our weapon of mass destruction. And Isaac's like, that's not what I meant. I meant he is basically proving to Rundle's point because he should not be a war man, but is very, very good at it and keeps being a war man. And why didn't he call me? And Diarca's like, quit being jealous and let's finish the damn job. <laughs> anyway, Diarca's like, over here. If you hit it right here, it'll explode really good. I do like how Diarca and Izak have also basically made up their minds that this thing cannot stand. And they're like, we destroyed it once. We're going to do it again because I hate leaving this job unfinished. So Shin is listening to that his sister's voicemail message. As Atherin and Kira destroy the thing from the inside with their giant lightsabers. So apparently all they needed to succeed was a full party. They just <laughs> needed two more people. I do like there's a shot in there where one of them, I believe it's the Freedom, going through and scything through all the wall. And Diarca's right next to him covering him as he's doing yep. it. They don't mention it. It's just a nice they shot. They don't mention it. And he's not like shooting or anything like that. He's just there. It's good position he's pointing to pointing away from the mobile suit in question. I don't know if it's the justice or the freedom. I think it's the freedom. But anyway, as Diarca and Izak join Atherin and Kira, there's this super dramatic music playing as like the gang's back together. And then we get a single shot of Shin on the bridge, which feels even more awkward since it feels like visually it should be Shin also deciding. Or I suppose it's more the music than the visuals. But the Shin shot here makes it feel like with the triumphant traitor music playing over it, makes it feel like he's also going to come to that conclusion. But and said Ray's like, hey, we should go. And Shin's like, hey, how's the Minerva doing? And Ray's like, they're fucked up, but Luna's fine. Don't worry. And unfortunately, they destroyed the station as the four party members cruise away from it. And Shin's like, oh shit, I forgot about Luna. I don't think he did. I no. think he is the implication he is. And Luna's like, I'm gonna, my determination is back as I get beat up from some doms. I don't care if my sister's there. Fire the extra power beam. Which is really silly because, like, I'm going to head straight there. We get a shot of her later flying next to the Minerva. And Ray is like, hey, you should have more faith in your girlfriend. She's strong. Stop worrying about her. And you're right, Ray. That's a weird thing for you to say, though. <laughs> I think this would make a little bit more sense if Luna Maria had been playing more of a, or seemed to be playing more of a factor in Shin's decision making. Yeah. But like you said, we've been seeing Ray just constantly pushing Shin away from Luna this entire time. So him defending her now seems weird and out of character. Well, he knows there's a very high chance they're both going to die shortly, so he needs to give him all the motivation he can. Well, he knows he's going to die anyway. Anyway, their main fleet's coming for Deadliest, and they will probably join us, and we see a shot of their fleet, which is led by three Azuma classes. Presumably one of them is the Kusanagi. It mostly seems to be Earth Alliance ships, but there is a Nazca and a few Laurasia classes in there. I think the one in the lead is the Kusanagi because it's got the same color scheme. Like I said, presumably. Anyway, they're going to try to take away our giant Death Star cat, and if that happens, there's no way we'll be able to hold the world hostage. And Shin seemingly, like, contemplated, he's like, what about Orb? And he's like, obviously, you're to save that nation as well by burning it. Yeah, save it <laughs> with lasers. Once we burn everything down and salt the Earth, they'll be safe. So the Azuma classes all aim their Lohengrins at the... Death Star laser, but they have installed a bunch of positron blockers. Checks out. Not sure where they got those, but... I mean, they pr could probably stole some equipment from the base. But why would the base have all those positron blockers? They had a bunch of the units with them on them. Oh, See, yeah, spare parts makes sense. Yeah. Or even just, like, units that weren't launched that they could take them off of. So the rest of the fleet that is 
at the Death Star is like, okay, time to go. Also, activate Neo Genesis. Because we needed another goddamn space laser. Dude, I heard you like Death Stars. <laughs> <laughs> There's the shot of the Impulse flying next to the Minerva. She's going straight there at the exact same speed as the Minerva. The new Death Star is coming up over the moon, backlit by the sun. It's approaching from Orange 186. I've decided that Orange is the direction of the sun at any given point. They're like, well, target is nearly within firing range. You guys remember the super weapon from Seed? It's that thing. Yeah, obviously. They're not being coy about it. And Kira's like, hey, uh, warn the fleet. And Durandal gives the order to fire. He basically says, I say we're within range now. I actually think this makes sense because Zaf's fleet is chasing them. It's more of a, let's shoot early and not hit them all, rather than let's shoot late and hit our own guys. Yeah. That makes sense. But this is basically the same trap as the Death Star in The Return of the Jedi. They will be penned between us and our fleets. The fleets in question get vaporized. I don't know how much of them they show actually escaping. It looks like the Kusanagi didn't. I think all the Azuma classes did. I think we only see Earth Alliance ships getting destroyed. They had the animation for that because they knew it was going to happen one way or the other. (laughs) And everybody, including, like, Gladys and Arthur are shocked at this, too, like, that is definitely one of those, again, I, I keep going back to it. Maybe when you see your side deploy another super weapon, maybe you ask the question, am I on the wrong side? <laughs> to be fair, if you see the other side as the Earth Alliance, their favorite thing in the world was to try to nuke people. Yeah, but you kind of sacrifice the whole like moral high ground after, number one, targeting another civilian center. And number two, repurposing their super weapon that you went through so much trouble to try and disable and destroy. Yeah, I'm not saying he has moral high ground. I'm just saying that there are plenty of people who would be like, eh, ends justify the means. We spent all this money on these giant death weapons. We should use them instead of sending me to die. Totally not on the side of ends justify the means. But Gladys definitely has that expression of, seriously? Yeah, and it seems like Shin should too. But again, it seems like, Durandal should have everybody but Ray abandoning him at this point. It seems like they should take off, Shin and Ray should take off, and Shin should immediately stab Ray in the back and fly <laughs> over to the Archangel and knock out, like, like, and hold a stereo over his head. Coming back <laughs> I'm to sorry. <laughs> um, just has, like, the Wiley e. Coyote, I'm sorry sign. Oh, I um, was going to say bonus points if the uh, boombox he's holding over his head is, like, the uh, mere custom boombox. I was going to say bonus <laughs> points if it's clearly not making any sound because there is no sound in space, but Shin doesn't seem to realize that. <laughs> no, it's just generating in its own subtitles. All the characters that we've been presented with so far besides Ray and Durundle, you would think would immediately have that kind of a question. Even if Gladys was like, yes, I'm going to continue on this side, you'd think that like Arthur of the Bridge would be like, what the fuck? <laughs> this, to me, further solidifies, though, that Durundle did not know Jabril was making a super death weapon, nor did he plan to capture it. He just he... happened to. Yeah, he had his own and was planning to use it. And then another one just fell into his lap. And he's like, well, they already know about this one. Keep the other one as my ace in the hole. So Ray and Shin take off. <laughs> I love how shell-shocked Mayrin looks. And Walt's like, damn, they, have, they built a second one? I guess it was in Patrick's Law as well. If I fail, build two. <laughs> <laughs> well, like you said, they only actually built one yeah, of it's them. That's true. So we get Shin giving a determined look, and Durandal's like, this time you will finally die, Lacus Klein. I tried snipers and... Frogman team. <laughs> I was like, it turns out he's actually secretly been trying to poison her for years and just keeps getting the wrong person. Oh, that's why she's so emaciated. She just like <laughs> randomly doesn't eat anytime he poisons her, but he tries to poison her all the time. He poisons something that she's about to eat, but then she gets called away, so she doesn't get a chance to. 
Maybe that's what happened to Kira's dad. (laughs) (laughs) He was the unspoken casualty of an attempted assassination. Yes. So Kira and Atherin are like, okay, time to ditch our meteors and do 1v1 combat. And hey, Atherin is already meeting the destiny and they are trading beam fire. I assume that the reason why they dumped the meteors was more a factor of out of ammunition. And they're really good at destroying really big things. Not so good at destroying... Well, they did a pretty good job at all the other guys, so... Uh. <laughs> so Ray is like, Kira Yamato, I will not allow you to exist! Oh, it's a flashback to Rao. End of the episode. As if you hadn't figured that out already. Well, I mean, they basically straight up told us. I don't... I know, that's why they had to reiterate there at the end. I, again, I think it's just to like add some stakes to Kira for this fight, because that's like a guy who tried to shoot him once, as far as he's concerned. Whereas Rao, Kira might still be a little hung up with. He did kill his ex-girlfriend. Well, and uh, Rao was kind of the first person that Kira really decided this man must die. I mean, you're right, it is an attempt to create stakes for him, but I feel like you could have done that better if Kira had had more than, you know, just had an encounter with Rey on, like, the moon when Luna and Shin are out there. Like, maybe (laughs) Kira's off using the bathroom at one point and he (laughs) runs into Rey while Luna and and Shin run into Atherin and Mehran. I was just imagining a variety of moon-based encounters, <laughs> and they could get pretty silly. There are so many good ones you could do. I know. Yeah, like I said, I think the problem with the episode is more the setup than the episode itself. We Have Two Death Stars is kind of lame, but it is a way to raise the stakes right before the final episode. It just with the We Have Two Death Stars just does kind of run into the... Uh... It's the Starkiller Base problem of this is the Death Star's dick, and this is Starkiller Base's dick. <laughs> yeah, well, that and it's a matter of like all the characters that we've been presented with so far, besides Ray and Durundle, really should start asking that question of why are we doing this? Why am I on this side? Like we've said, it just throws Durundle so far in the villain bin in a way that, like, I think if his speeches were better and it had not quite done that, it could actually be two legitimate sides. Not One even that- so. He's not even so much in the ends justify the means. Like I have a good plan or noble intentions. I'm just willing to use evil means to arrive there. In the way of like Lelouch out of Code Geass is definitely falls into this category. But um, in this case, it's literally just I'm just an evil bastard. Yeah, I want to be emperor. Here's how I get there, with lasers. Oh no, a lot of the emotional moments in this episode fall flat, I think, because the motivations well, are so it, weak. Like Jeremy said, it, they fall flat because the, it didn't do its homework. Yeah, yeah. Th- they're all payoffs, and all the payoffs, I think, are good on paper. The problem is what they're paying off didn't get set up. Like, the Moo getting his memory things back, that seems right to me. It's like poetry at rhymes, but they didn't set up enough tension there for that to feel good. Mayrin and Luna meeting up again doesn't feel good. Yeah, um, I was going to say, Gladys making the decision she makes makes no sense. Same with Shin. Oh, yep. I have arguments for why Shin made yeah. the decision he did. Peer pressure. Yeah. <laughs> and he's in a bad situation. Uh, they just did a really bad job like further justifying that based on his own thoughts. Gladys' decision makes no sense. He's like in the arc, or at least in character. Yeah. Gladys' decision would make a bit more sense to me if we knew where her son was. Like, if he was on one of the plants that got destroyed... Then her basically deciding I'm going to side with him to fuck up everything because look at what they did to my boy. (laughs) But the thing is, we don't know. We just we know she has a son. And I know explicitly that's not true. I I think maybe the implication is she thinks Durundle's world will be better for her son. 
but they don't communicate that well either. Well, and they Do you don't know commu- explicitly that he's not dead. Yeah, but they also like don't ever show like they don't show her being influenced by Durundle during her flashback. They show her being influenced by Maru, and she's like, "And I choose yeah. to fight you." Yeah, um, it's baffling. Yes, I will say I think the Diarca Ezek stuff had exactly the right amount of set off in the payoff work. Yep, I agree. Those have also not been like main characters. They work just fine, in part because of like the setup we got is they're basically still alive. They and, still exist. And the setup is in this episode, right? It's Isaac being getting mad that they didn't contact him. It's like, yeah, I am ready to defect and join you guys right now. They set that up earlier because Isaac has been grumbling in that direction for a while. Yeah. So, but like, he's not a main character in this, and like, I think the amount of screen time they gave him was perfectly fine. Yeah, yes. it, it works perfectly well for what it is. It, it, they just didn't need a lot of setup for him. Whereas all of our main characters needed a lot more setup for these payoffs to work, and we didn't get it. Yep. So do you have a high point, Tyler? It is specifically Izak and Diarca bickering when they <laughs> show up and help Athrin and Kira over to the reflector station? Relay station, whatever. Yeah, sure. The, the big laser mirror. Oh, that was mine, too. It's really <laughs> funny. It's pretty objectively the best part. What is a high point out of an episode that's like 95% stock footage? Besides the Izak and Diarca bits, I'm not really sure. I mean, I like you said, the Lunamaria Mayron thing, which would in theory be one of like my other top choices, it just kind of falls flat. Which is sad because like I love the Hawk sisters so much early on, and like neither of them re- like I guess they've grown in different directions, but like their relationship with each other has fallen off. So, but that's in part because they've been separated. Yeah, Luna thought Mayron was dead until right this moment. It might just be Izak. Just Isaac in general. Yeah. In this episode, yeah. All right. I'm going to go with Neil Roanoke getting his memories back. I completely think it falls flat, but I think on its own it works. The Akatsuki deflects lasers, so obviously he can do the same stunt and survive. I think that in a vacuum it works. The problem is that the setup was not done properly. And we can have lots of arguments about how Neil Roanoke being Mula Flaga was not a good idea in the first place, but that's not the moment's fault. Um, Would it have been better if Neo Roanoke was actually Mula Flaga's clone? I've thought about that a number of times. Or another Ray clone? Or another one of his clones? I think if it had been ambiguous up to this point, then it might have been better. Yeah. Or if he just had a bunch of Mu-like qualities. Yeah, that would have actually been pretty cool. And Um, even looked a lot, because didn't... We know he looked a lot like his father to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, Rao basically looked like a slightly skinnier version of his father, so. I was going to say, my runner-up was actually the fact that Lacus's speech to tell people to stop fighting works. Yeah, I actually like that, too. I I considered using that if Zach took the moment, which I didn't think he was going to, but. The moment. The moment. What's your low point, Tyler? Oh, boy. Um, I think it is specifically Talia's decision. Like, there is a lot of weak character motivation going on in this, and I think her decision in particular just rubs me the wrong way, because we've been establishing that she's increasingly distrustful of Durundle, and that doesn't pay off at all. Yeah, and it even seems like the way they present her decision, that it's based on her faith in Durundle, but like you said, the entire time up to this point, we've just seen her becoming increasingly more and more distrustful of him. Yeah. And the fact that that doesn't, like, affect her decision, as far as we're aware, is a little disappointing. Especially because it seems like the driving force behind her making the decision is Maru. Yeah. And, like, again, it it would work if it was, like, a Nataral thing, except that's not really what's been a... Like, 
straight devotion to her job and duty has not really been established as her thing in the way it was for Nataro. Well, it's been presented a few times that she does take her position and her job very seriously, but it doesn't feel like it's ever to the degree that Nataro was. Yeah. Probably because, like, she was never playing off of somebody like Maru, who was very much on the other side of things. Yeah, Maru, who was an engineer who didn't want to be captain anyway. Well, who's but... also on the side of, like, well, we can let the regulations slide because these kids aren't really, like, they haven't gone through any of the basic stuff or anything like that, where Nataro was like, no, the regulations are the regulations. Gladys hasn't gone through any of that kind of stuff, so it's hard to say. But in that case, that just means they didn't do their homework to establish that that was her fatal flaw. Yeah. Zach, what's your lipo? Shin's choice. Yeah, that was going to be mine. That's the obvious. I think even more obvious. And really, it really kills me that we cut the Shin during the dramatic, like, heroic music of Izak and Diarka flipping sides. Because it feels like, just like storytelling-wise, that Shin should, like, also, like, man up in that moment and make a decision, and well, he doesn't. They also seem to be trying to imply that he's backsliding on all the progress that he's made because he's got the phone again. But they haven't really shown him starting in on that. They've just been like, they've shown him being influenced a lot by Ray, but not backsliding on the things that he was talking to Atherin about and learning from Atherin. Now, if we'd seen the last couple of episodes, him starting to like look at that or anything like that, even. That'd make more sense, but it seems to come out of left field. I think both of yours are way more important than mine, but I'm going to go all the stock footage in this episode. Like you said at the beginning, Tyler, it just makes it feel like almost no action is going on, and bizarrely an, ac- an episode that is entirely a battle. And when we got to the equivalent mode is- moments in Seed, they felt epic and tense. Well, the thing is, you can use stock... Stock footage should be used to like just do a quick paste over in an episode. You shouldn't try and make the entire episode out of it. But Seed did a very similar thing at this point, but it was a thing where because the battle was so big and so much bigger than previous ones, it ended up feeling epic in a way that they fail this time. Well, I think that one of the big differences in those cases was in Seed, even though they would show a lot of the stock footage attacks, we were seeing a lot of stuff on both sides getting knocked out. Like we were seeing a lot of the Estrays in, the, in Seed getting destroyed and whatnot, but here... The Murasamis don't even join the battle until about halfway through the episode. And it doesn't feel like anyone we care about is in danger at any point during this. Like Maybe Luna. Maybe Luna. But I never even really got the feeling that Luna was in danger, even when the Black Tri-Stars were attacking her. I never really felt like, oh no, Luna might be killed. Yeah, and I uh, accidentally spoiled it for myself. She lives, so... Even in when I watched it the first time around, I never had the feeling, oh, no, Luna's in danger. I kept expecting her to, like, because I feel like her death would be a good thing to set Shin over the edge. That said, that would be so lame. It would, yeah, definitely. For them to fridge another female character? It would definitely be lame, but it's uh, more motivation than I think he currently has. You know, like, even her being shot down and beat up, I think, would be enough. Yeah. And then she can, like, have a moment where she's like, no, Shin, revenge bad. Basically. You killing that person won't let us make out. Basically echoing what Atherin did at Orb. Yeah. Like getting the uh, impulse and flying up there again while she's wounded. Yeah. Do we have any other final thoughts on this episode? We went pretty long on it. I wish they did their homework. And that's the problem with Destiny, right? It's so close to being good. If you, like, again, it's so easy to play armchair quarterback. But there's so, it feels like there are so few changes you can make. Then at the same time, though, we are always constantly making changes. And I don't know that they could have put everything we say into Destiny. I feel like they could have. 
there's a lot of cruft they could have cut. They, oh no, this show is not nearly as efficient with its use of characters as Seed was. Well, there's like five clip episodes. Even ignoring that, I like individual episodes are not as dense. You, yeah, well, it's not even dense. They've got stuff going on in them. They're not as efficient with their character time. Like it's equal density, but like less good stuff in that density. I don't know. So we have three episodes left and three mobile suits we need to add to our list. The Akatsuki got to show off its funnels this week, which I think is the final thing we needed to see from that. So unless you guys have objections, that's what we should add, I think. Nope. No, sounds good to me. Yeah, I was going to say I I didn't know it had funnels, but I've been ready to add the Akatsuki for a while because I don't know that that affects my opinion of it I think that's why Jeremy wanted to wait till this, though, that it would show off all of its cool, neat tricks. Yeah. So I feel like we should compare it to mobile suits that its previous pilots have had. I think it's better than the... Than the Mobius? Yes, I agree. the Mobius Zero. Sorry. Oh, is that actually what you were going for? Yes, I couldn't... Like, the Zero keep coming to my head, and I could not get Mobius. I really like the Mobius Zero. I don't like it nearly as much as the Akatsuki, that, yeah. and that's the my problem. The Akatsuki is too garish for me. And I kind of love it because of that. I, I really <laughs> hate it. Like, I, I hate how garish that thing is. Just pretend it's purple. Speaking of pink and purple. You I- said it would be good in purple earlier, Zach. <laughs> I know. I was trying to envision it, and then I just got the Evangelion Unit 1 color scheme, the purple and green. That's Kevin's favorite color scheme. I know it is. So speaking of pink and purple, how do we think it compares to the Strike Rouge? Because I like it a little bit more than the Strike Rouge. I think mostly because I'm a sucker for funnels. You really are. I think I would probably put it above the Strike Rouge because the Strike Rouge is just the strike. But pink. But pink. And I actually, I legitimately like the Akatsuki's design, even though it's hard to look at because it's so shiny sometimes. That's, there's a reason why I called it the leader of the camouflages for Sissy's squadron. Oddly, I don't think I like it as much as the Ale Strike, mostly because I think that has a real balanced color scheme. I would agree with you. I did mention a couple of times the Akatsuki is just too damn garish with its bright freaking gold, but the color balance of the white, red, and blue of the Ale Strike really works for me. And I see what you're going for, but for the record... I would have put the Akatsuki above the Ale Strike. So the only thing we have with funnels between the two is the Providence. And Tyler first, how do you think it compares to the Providence? Interesting. I think I legitimately prefer the Providence, despite the horrible starfish shape. Um, That said, the Akatsuki is gold. It does have the stupid shield function with its funnels. I'm a little bit torn on it, but I think I actually prefer the Providence. Zach, I know there are things you dislike about both. I think I might have to go with the Providence because I don't like the garishness of the Akatsuki. And I also kind of hate its I'm invincible to lasers functionality. Like that rubs me the wrong way, especially as it's like it's displayed really well in this episode. Don't get me wrong. It just feels weird because it's not just invincibility. It's reflecting. Yeah. And like, why wouldn't you just make everything out of that? It seems like a whatever, really good well, I mean, Whatever the material is, it might also be insanely expensive. It's the same reason why we gave Why Not Give Everything Phase Armor. It's Goldanium. So this is weird. How do we think it compares to Zamzaza? Interesting. I weirdly like the Zamzaza, but the I Zamzaza have to... Zamzaza is above the Strike Rouge? One spot. I really like the Zamzaza, so I that probably helped really us. I really like the Zamzaza. I, I think I like the Akatsuki more, so that's <laughs> like not, not really even a hard choice. All right, final question. Is it better or worse than the Grimoire Red Beret, which is Rommel's unit from yeah. Build Divers? Um, I like the Red Beret. I definitely like the Akatsuki more than the Red I Beret. I like the Zach Red is- Beret, 
but it's more of a like I like where the like the position it occupies. I might like it more if I knew more about the mobile suit that it's originally based on. But I think that's also like one of the weaker designs Models. out of Build Divers. It is in a series that is bad but has very good designs. Yep. So I I think as much as I dislike the Akatsuki's color scheme, I probably have to put it above that. The ferret drove a red beret. Okay, that doesn't work. So the Akatsuki Gundam will go at number 34, above the Grimoire Red Beret and below the Providence. All right, join us next week when we will be nearly done with Gundam Seed Destiny. Two more. Next week, we have phase 49, the final power. Final power. Oh, my God, that sounds terrible. Until then, we have to keep watching. It is our destiny. Join in and get killed like everyone else?